and it's exciting for us to be able to start a new series on the Holy Spirit, and that's what we want to begin, and Brent did an excellent job last week of really finishing off our series and learning from the life of Moses and being able to learn from the Old Testament and mainly from the book of Exodus and about finishing well and really preparing us for a new year. And some of you might be asking the question, why would we take a couple months to even discuss and talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I just thought it might be helpful in our intro just to be able to give some reasons why we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And one of the first reasons is this. A lot of times the Holy Spirit is ignored both in Christianity and also in the world. So sometimes, uh, especially at Christmas, we hear a lot about Jesus and we hear sometimes a lot about God the Father and people learn maybe to pray. They might know the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, and certainly here in North America, Jesus has talked at least somewhat about, as we just have in these last couple of weeks with Christmas, but we don't hear very much uh, sometimes about the Holy Spirit. And so, unfortunately, and we take uh, responsibility for this sometimes as leaders in the church of being able to say, we're sorry for not talking about the Holy Spirit, and just even being reminded as we are praying for uh, these new children here this morning about bringing them up in the Christian faith, that we uh, want to make sure that they understand all about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we want to take some time to be able to do that. And Paul writes in the New Testament, he says to those he was teaching, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to miss out on things. And one of the big things is the Holy Spirit. And what a difference he makes in our life. And so that's a great reason for why we want to uh, discuss the Holy Spirit. The other one is a lot of times the Holy Spirit is misunderstood. And so depending upon your background and where you come from, uh, you might think of the Holy Spirit a bit like in Star Wars. And you might have Obi-Wan Kenobi in your ear going, use the force, Luke, use the force. And sometimes that's about the only thing we think about when we think of the Holy Spirit. We think, well, there's a force out there somewhere, and there's a good force, and there's an evil force. And even some religions would even claim and say the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. It's kind of like God's force. Well, we don't want to get all of our theology from Star Wars or even any of it necessarily, but we want to understand the Holy Spirit is more than just the force. The Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, is God, is a person. Sometimes we refer, or you might have heard people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. So, you know, something happened and it was moving me or something like it's he we want to discuss the holy spirit as a person it's he the holy spirit is not an it depending upon your translation that you grew up with in the bible some of the older ones translate the holy spirit as the holy ghost and the ghost is not necessarily a word that we use as much today although with zombies taking on popularity and all that we might come back to using the term Holy Ghost as it might connect to more uh, people. But sometimes the whole thing of the Holy Ghost, if you've heard that term, one, it can maybe sound a bit childish or make, you know, a bit more like a fairy tale or a bit more make-believe. And so we diminish the Holy Spirit because maybe we've heard of the Holy Ghost. Some people, that actually frightens them. And sometimes out of ignorance and misunderstanding, we can think of the Holy Spirit or if you've heard of the Holy Ghost as something like, ooh, that's a bit, you know, spooky or a bit into something I'm not aware of, and for our sometimes maybe more rational minds, we can think, well, that's more for people who are a bit more spiritual, but that doesn't apply to me. I like something more 
concrete, and we misunderstand the Holy Spirit. Also, depending upon your background or maybe what you've seen, and I've uh, experienced this in talking to a lot of people, sometimes people hear the term the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, and it might, and see, sometimes people, depending upon how it's used, think it could be a cultural thing. So many people from uh, maybe more Pentecostal background sometimes get very excited and they say, you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. you got to get the Holy Ghost. And people are kind of like, okay. And that sometimes puts people off because we want the Holy Spirit, but sometimes how it gets communicated. And I was even talking to someone last week and they said this. They were talking about um, some people who were from South America and they totally understood about people being filled with the Holy Spirit and being excited and on passion, passionate for God, but they said, that's their culture. So we can write things off and say, well, that happens in Africa, that happens in South America, that's their culture. And they equate the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost with culture and not Christianity for all of us. So you can see we've got a lot of work to do on understanding the Holy Spirit, and that's why we want to take time and do it. The other thing that's really popular today and that we're always addressing is it's really sort of the in thing right now and starting with New Year's resolutions and things to be spiritual. And so we want to be well-rounded people. And so a lot of people realize, you know, I've been missing out on something. I've been doing the exercise thing. I've been doing the diet thing. I've been reading these things. I'm in my book club. I'm doing all these things, which aren't necessarily bad things, but we can sometimes feel like, well, you know what? I'm missing a spiritual part to my life. So I'm going to add a spiritual part to it. And so we sometimes think Holy Spirit, and when we get into that whole, it's a force, it's, we want to become more spiritual. We can misunderstand that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, it's different from just being spiritual and adding some spirituality and some spirit things to your life. The Holy Spirit is God, and that changes everything. So we really want to be clear as we uh, go through that we're going to address some of these things. And this is, I think, the most important reason. The Holy Spirit, this is exciting. This is so exciting because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the most incredible thing you and I are created to be and to do, and that is to be all about God and to know God. So I don't want us to get, um, maybe if you're already a Christian, you know, just going through the motions of like, okay, here we go, we're going to study about God again. Isn't there something else besides studying about God? Knowing God is the greatest thing. Everything else falls into that. That's what we're created for. We're made in the image of God to reflect God's glory and to walk and talk and be with God, both here on planet Earth and for eternity. Folks, that is the most exciting thing there is on planet Earth. And whatever you might get excited about, it's a derivative of knowing God. And it might, you might not understand it, so if you're excited about sports and you're excited about team and having a purpose and all that, that is meant originally to be part of God's family and to be about the purposes of God. That's what God puts in you. If you're excited about relationships, that comes from knowing God. If you're excited about truth and mind and knowledge and figuring things out and all that, that comes from God. If you're touchy-feely and emotional, guess what? That comes from 
God. We can go through everything. And that's all from knowing God. And if we understand over these next few weeks, months, and hopefully ongoing, because it's not just head knowledge, it's applying and it's experiential, that the God of the universe wants to live in you by his Holy Spirit, then that affects our identity, that affects our purpose in life, that affects every aspect of our lives. Everything. Nothing is left untouched by the Spirit of God being involved in our lives. And he empowers us, and he enables us, and he gives us unity as a church, and he's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So that affects our future. Folks, this is exciting. So I'm like, this week preparing, man, it was hard because I want to fit everything into the first message. <laughs> like, I want to fit 12 weeks, and 12 weeks don't, won't even do it justice. Because this is exciting to be able to talk about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm going to get us started today, and it's certainly not an exhaustive, but I'm just trying to lay a bit of a foundation for the weeks that are going to come ahead, because we're building each week on a different thing. So I was trying to figure out, goodness me, where do you start when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Do you start in the Old Testament? Do you start, how, where do we even start? And I'm going to start with Mark chapter 1, and just the first few verses of Mark, for a couple of reasons. One is, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, and maybe all this is new to you, and you didn't have a grid for what we're talking about. I'm going to try to anchor you in from the beginning into something that maybe at least you can kind of grab a hold of, and maybe you can hold on for dear life for the next 30 minutes or so to understand some of these things. Maybe you were at our Christmas Eve service um, just recently, and Brent talked about Jesus and Jesus coming, and he really gave a challenge at the end of our Christmas Eve service to investigate just as the shepherds came, and later the wise, to investigate Jesus. And so we're going to start with Jesus. And this is picking up in Mark chapter 1, and we fit a lot in just into 15 verses. And so this could be a starting point for you to understand not only the Holy Spirit who helps reveal Jesus, but understanding Jesus and why he came to earth. And from this story, picking up just as we pick up John the Baptist and Jesus— We're going to set a bit of a context to understand that there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then we can focus in more on the Holy Spirit, okay? So let's read this together. Mark chapter 1, you can read it up on the screen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right away, whoo, Jesus, the Son of God. As is written in Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John appeared, so this is talking about John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. My kids love that part. They always love that one. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he, that's Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, that's his God the Father, 
You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Woo, I told you, a lot going on in just the first few sentences. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he, Jesus, was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Woo! So where do we start? We're going to look at, first of all, we're trying to, in a bit of a lawyer-like way, we're trying to lay some foundations to declare and to prove and believe the truth that the Holy Spirit is God. Because everything that we talk about after this is based on this fact and this truth. And so the Holy Spirit is God. And we're going to look at, first of all, the Trinity. And as soon as you say that word, if any of you have come up with uh, people who maybe are a bit hostile towards Jesus and the gospel, as soon as you mention the Trinity, the first thing that you might get is, well, the word Trinity isn't actually mentioned in the Bible. So that's the first thing I always encounter when I mention the Trinity. Ah, gotcha. Trinity's not mentioned in the Bible, therefore it's not true. And so we just want it to take a minute to sort of dive in to this. And what we're talking about when we're talking about the Trinity is our church fathers, bless them, they did so much work, the apostles, and then afterwards in you know, 100 AD, 200 AD, 300 AD, because as they began to live out this Christian faith, of course, they had to deal with all kinds of things that came along that said, you know what, Jesus wasn't really man, he was just a spirit. Jesus wasn't really God, he was just a man. And tackling all these incredible things, and so our church forefathers began to write down statements of faith and creeds that began to, that they agreed upon with the help of the Holy Spirit itself, himself, to be able to say, these are the things that we as Christians believe. And as you begin to read the creeds, and I won't go through them all today, so you might have heard the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, different ones throughout history. I'm going to read one that's really new. It's from 1647. So in comparison, it's a new statement uh, clarifying some things. We see throughout Christianity that right from early days on, the Holy Spirit, he was affirmed as part of of the Trinity. And Trinity is just one of those words, I think it's Tertullian, about 200 AD, used the Latin word, just talking about three and one, talking about Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. So it's a Latin term, that's where we get to use it. So even though the term's not used in the Bible, it's explaining a whole concept that is definitely in the Bible, one which we just read even from Jesus' baptism and the whole thing of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to quickly try to give you some points of reference so that you can understand this is what the Bible says. We get these different creeds that affirm these things. And I told you, I'm going to give you a new one. So this is from 1647. So compared to 200 AD, it's relatively new. And this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we read this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if we go through, and we just don't have time this morning, I'm just going to mention quickly five uh, components of the truth of the Godhead, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me just say them quickly, but they're really important. So I'm trying to establish something, which I'll explain in a moment. There is only one essential being within God. God eternally exists in the form of three persons. And so if we go back 
even in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when it talks about God made man in his image, it says that God, let us make man in our image. So Elohim is the word that's used for God. It's a plural, one God, three persons. So we go right back to Genesis 1, discussing these things. Each of these persons is fully divine. Each of these persons is distinct from the other two, yet one with them. And the three persons have eternally coexisted as one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So is it a mystery? Absolutely. We just sang it in that song. What a marvelous mystery, this whole thing of God and the gospel. But is it nonsense? No. So it's a mystery talking about God. But God has revealed himself to us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, all the way through the Bible. We worship one God. Three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now what's important, and please take this, because what we're addressing is, and what we're not saying, that some religions believe, and some people believe. Some people believe God, one God, takes on the form at any one time of either the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. So some people believe Old Testament, God revealed himself as Father. New Testament, God revealed himself as Jesus. And from that point on, God is now revealing Spirit. And so there's either a mode that, the, that God becomes either Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. And so that's why I started out with that passage in Mark chapter 1 that we're trying to establish God does not take on different modes. He doesn't reveal himself at different times in different packages. One God at Jesus' baptism, what do we see? Jesus in the flesh. He was there. The voice from heaven came, and the Spirit came like a dove. So folks, I'm fitting like 2,000 years of theology into trying to do 10 minutes, but we're trying to establish right from the beginning... We're talking about God who's revealed himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we're trying to establish that the Holy Spirit, he is God. Now I'm going to unpack that a bit more now. And so one thing I'm going to focus on is this, is that we see in salvation, we see all three persons of the Trinity or of the Godhead at work. And so we have the Father, the Father develops the plan. So we have this issue if we go back and... Uh, if you were here, and I really, really encourage you, uh, Ben McGuigan did such a great job a couple weeks ago, December 21st, here from John chapter 1. So I'm going to refer you that if you don't understand a few things I'm saying, can you go on our website and can you listen to the message that Ben did about Jesus coming as the Word, Logos, the life, the light, and establishing both the divinity and humanity of Jesus coming and the purpose why Jesus came check that one out. It's worth listening to a second or third time because Ben establishes and he fights off some different heresies that have happened throughout these 2,000 years about who Jesus is. But he's talking about why Jesus had to come. Why did we even celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Emmanuel, God with a... Why do we celebrate Jesus whose name means the Lord saves? Because we have this whole issue, and we saw it in Mark chapter 1, of Satan and sin and how our wrongdoing and all our following short, following short of God's standards, of us worshiping other idols, all of that separates us from God. And the Bible says, we in our humanity, it's impossible for us to get right with God. 
no matter how many good works, sacraments, rituals, pilgrimages, whatever it is that you try to do to get right with God, you can't. And so the Father initiated a plan. And we read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, He, God the Father, made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. So the Father came up with the plan for salvation to rescue us from Satan and from sin. The Father was involved in salvation. Now what did the Son do? The Son secured our salvation. So Jesus came to planet Earth and He lived He was born of the Spirit because Mary was a virgin, yet born man because Mary was a woman. Humanity, unique birth, born like no one else, fully God, fully human. Jesus lived a perfect life. Fascinating. I mean, again, if you just read the Gospels, look at Jesus' life. You cannot get bored of reading Jesus' life. It's amazing seeing what Jesus, who he was and what he did and what he accomplished. And he went right to the cross, 33 years laid down his perfect life. Even though we deserve judgment and we should receive the penalty for sins, Jesus paid it on the cross. He's our substitution. The Bible says he's our propitiation for our sins. He not only paid the penalty, God was satisfied with the payment. And so God's justice and his wrath for sin, because there's got to be a penalty for sin. We want justice. It was paid because of Jesus. So Jesus, the Father had the plan. What did Jesus do as the Son? As the Son of God, he secured salvation for us. He purchased it for us. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are then born, we're bought with a price. And the New Testament says that we are a follower of Jesus. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've been bought with a price. It's the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus has secured our salvation. So the Father planned it. Jesus secured it. He did the work. And now the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life. So we have one question that gets asked a lot. If Jesus died on the cross for everyone, how come everyone isn't saved? Because if Jesus died for everyone, doesn't that just cover? So it's a good question to ask, isn't it? Because we get, in Adam, we all died. In Christ, we're all saved. So therefore, it doesn't matter what I do because Christ has died for everyone. Brent, what's your answer to that one? I'll ask the theologian in the front row. (laughs) Tag, it's my week. You're right. I'm on. I'll leave it there. And Brent will pick that up next week. (laughs) Because the Bible says, and Jesus said it to Nicodemus, he said this, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to become a follower and get right with God, you must be born again. And you must be born of the Spirit. And Jesus said, you read in John 6, the flesh means nothing, this physical, but the Spirit gives life. And the Spirit applies what Jesus has secured, and it takes the Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again. And Ben read this out even out a couple weeks ago from Titus chapter 3, and Paul writes, but when the goodness, so he says in the first couple of verses, you know what, we used to hate people, we were hated, we were far from God, we did our own thing, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of 
regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. There's a Trinitarian statement right there, including the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and we're going we're gonna to spend a whole message just on regeneration. What do we mean by that? The Holy Spirit is important in salvation because he applies what Jesus has secured that was the Father's plan. So the Holy Spirit, if we don't have the Holy Spirit at work and we don't believe the Holy Spirit is God, we're missing out on a whole key thing of how we even get saved in the first place. You can't get saved unless the Holy Spirit is at work and he regenerates. He causes us to be born again. Now, I'm going to save it there and we will pick that up again. My point being, I'm trying to establish Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And I'm using one example of salvation to say the Father planned it, Jesus secured it, and the Holy Spirit applies what Jesus secured. That's what I'm trying to get at. And quickly, I'm just going to go through a bunch of things that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit just to hopefully confirm that he is God. So I'm going to go right through these. We see from Scripture this that the Holy Spirit was at work in creation. So Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So right in the second verse of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is there. We see this. The Holy Spirit is eternal. If that doesn't help prove it, we can say the Holy Spirit is eternal. He was there at creation. And then Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to be with you forever. So that's... But we also read this in Hebrews 9-14. The writer says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So we have eternal spirit, Hebrews 9, 14. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. Therefore, the Holy Spirit proceeds from them both, John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you you. The Holy Spirit is divine. We read this in Acts chapter 5. The context is Peter addresses Ananias and Sapphira who lied about their giving. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? What made you do such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And there's all kinds of other ones we could talk about the Holy Spirit being divine. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. It implies that the Holy Spirit is God because only God can be all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful. And we read this in Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Hallelujah. I'm jumping ahead. If you can connect the dots, what does the Holy Spirit do? I'm giving you lots of uh, foreshadowing what we're going to talk about next week. The Holy Spirit is God. He is eternal. He's divine. He intercedes for us. Who can search our 
mind? Who knows the mind of God? Who can search and pray and help us according to the will of God? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit was there at creation. The Holy Spirit is there in our new birth for salvation. The Holy Spirit is God. And that's what we're trying to establish because that will affect everything else we talk about in these next few weeks. Our time's going, so I'm going to move right along. In saying that the Holy Spirit is God, we're saying this, the Holy Spirit is a person. John 14, Jesus said this, If you love me, and you, you will obey what I command, and I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And Jesus saying that, another helper, Jesus is saying this, he's going to be just like me. Jesus is saying another helper. Some of your translations say another counselor, another paraclete, another helper, the one who comes alongside. And Jesus then refers to all the way through in John 14, 15, and 16. That would be a good homework for you this week to read those three chapters. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he. He is a person. He is just like Jesus. And so one helpful hint for me, if you could get confused about the Holy Spirit, just remember Jesus. And Jesus said, we're going to send another helper who's just like me. So if the Holy Spirit freaks you out, then get your eyes back on Jesus. Think about the things of Jesus. And remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us, just like Jesus. He is a person. He is our helper. We see this. Therefore, he's fully personal and divine like Jesus. If Jesus is going to say, I'm going to send you another one just like me, then all the things of Jesus follow through with the Holy Spirit. Quickly, the Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of personhood. So let me just read some of them to you. The Holy Spirit is a witness. Acts 5.32. Peter said, we are witnesses of these things, speaking about Jesus, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. A witness is a person who has seen something, heard something, and can give testimony. And the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has a will. Acts 16, 7. When they came to the border of um, Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. And so if you read even the verse before that, it talks about how Paul and his companions wanted to go to these different places. It says the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. Because he's a person. He has a will and a plan. The Holy Spirit has a mind, Romans 8, 27, I just read it. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit thinks, Acts 15, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So the whole thing of Acts 15 is the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem are trying to figure out some things. They're wrestling through, making decisions. And in the context, we see it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The Holy Spirit speaks. Acts 1.16. Peter said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. And I haven't even got into the whole thing of the Holy Spirit is the one who authored the whole Scripture that we read. The Holy Spirit leads. Romans 8.14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of adoption. And by him, that's the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit leads. I forgot to click. Here we go. 
I'm catching up. So the Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of personhood. I could even go more, and we've got one more that we're going to just spend a moment on. The Holy Spirit is a witness. He testifies to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has a will, a mind. He thinks, he speaks, he leads, he acts. The Holy Spirit is a person. We also read this. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we see in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be lied to, that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed, that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. So that's quite a wake-up call to us if we're followers of Jesus. If we really deep inside go, you know, I really don't know much about the Holy Spirit, and I really don't know how the Holy Spirit is involved in my life. It's good to acknowledge that, but don't stop there. That's why we're doing this. Let's learn and understand and experience, because out of ignorance or misunderstanding, we don't want to grieve or quench or lie to or blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He is sensitive. So he might be with us forever, but as you can know in any relationship, okay, Angela and I are married, we're secure, but if I mistreat her, it gets pretty cold. So we're still married, but I've grieved her, and it affects our relationship. And therefore, when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit is involved in every aspect of your life, what I'm referring to is our attitudes and our words and our actions and our every aspect of what we say and do and be affects our relationship with God and with one another and together as a church. Because the Bible, as we can, we're going to see, talks about churches can quench the Holy Spirit. Churches can grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about parenting and raising up our kids to be followers of Jesus, and we're explaining that there is a truth and there is a right and wrong, very quickly we begin to understand how things like lying and stealing and hurting grieves us as parents. It grieves me when I see my kids fighting with one another because I'm a parent. It grieves the Holy Spirit to see us treat each other not lovingly. So I'm trying to take theology, the study of God, big things, who is God, and we're drilling it right down into everyday life. That the Holy Spirit is a person. He's sensitive. And we need to learn what grieves him and what pleases him. How to be led by the Spirit, how not to quench the Spirit, how to be led by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And just to end... I want to leave some things for Brent next week to pick up on. The Holy Spirit is active today, and I've read that verse from Romans 8. One question we can ask is, is the Holy Spirit involved in our prayer life? So there's one question right there, because he should be. The Holy Spirit's active today. Now, this is what we're going to try to address over these next few weeks is this, what does the Holy Spirit do? 
So if I can sort of get my head around and my heart around, okay, the Holy Spirit is real. He is God. He's the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit, I can see in the Bible throughout history, the Holy Spirit's there. What does he actually do? I've given you some hints today, but we're going to unpackage a bit more. What does the Holy Spirit do? We're going to address these things. Is every Christian filled with the Holy Spirit? So this causes a lot of confusion in Christianity. When I become a Christian, do I receive all the Holy Spirit? Do I, is there a second filling? Do I have to be baptized in the Spirit? What does that even mean? Does that, do I get everything with the Holy Spirit at conversion? Those are big questions, and we're going to try to tackle some of them. We're going to look at this. Are all the spiritual gifts for today? I didn't even read out 1 Corinthians 12. That is another Trinitarian statement about spiritual gifts, about God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body. Are all those gifts available for today? Are gifts of healing, gifts of tongues, interpretation, gifts of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, are all those available today? Or is it just gifts of hospitality, gifts of helps, gifts of service, and ones that we're a bit more comfortable with? Is there a supernatural dynamic to these spiritual gifts? Are they for us today? Are they for superstars, Benny Hinn, Billy Graham? Are they for everyday people like you and me? Because if they're available, then we want to be functioning and receiving and working in them. Another question we get is, the Holy Spirit. Is there an experience to the Holy Spirit? Or is it knowledge? And so sometimes we divide within Christianity. Holy Spirit, I can give my theological, theological treatise on the Holy Spirit, but no experience. Or, I got the Holy Ghost! I got the Holy Ghost! And it's all experience, but you say, you got the Holy Ghost, but where do you, can you explain that to me? I have no clue. I just know I got the Holy Ghost. And we're trying to say we want knowledge. We want to be educated. We want to understand the Word of God. We want to correctly handle the Word of God. But folks, we don't want it to be a dead theology. We want the experience, the empowerment, the enabling that comes from the Holy Spirit. We want the love of the Father poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We want to receive that spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father, we want the Holy Spirit, and we don't know what to pray, that he can take those groanings that are within us, and he can take them to the Father. We want knowledge. We want to be able to correctly handle the Word of God. That's what we're trying to do here this morning. We're trying to, from the Word of God, that's how God's revealed himself to us. But we want the experience as well. And so we're going to be looking at these things. A good, great question. How can I let the Holy Spirit lead my life? If I'm supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? Am I following? I thought I was supposed to be following the footsteps of Jesus, but you're telling me I'm supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. How does all that work together? We're going to try to unpackage some of that. And folks, we're going to end on this. This whole thing we're talking about, this is, this is everything. We're talking about the presence of God. And so from the Bible, Genesis 1, it's the presence of God with his creation. At the end of Revelation, it's the presence of God with his redeemed people. This is, this is everything. 
This is about God's glory. And this is about individuals. Paul would write when the Christians were acting up, he'd say, do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives within you individually? And he'd say to the church, do you not know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is the presence of God. And as we understand this, it should change how you view Sunday mornings when we meet together. Because we should be coming saying, we're meeting as the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if we're here at the Crown Plaza in a couple weeks' time, at our building, in our life groups. When we're meeting together, it's the presence of God is here. Because we are here. And that should affect everything. That should affect our mindset, our attitude when we come together. And as we understand what it is to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's about God's glory. That we want our lives and our church to be about the glory of God. That's our purpose here on our, it's to reflect God's glory. And if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian here this morning, can I invite you to come out to Alpha, because it's going to help fill in the gaps for some of the things we're going to be taking a look at on Sunday morning, a week from Monday, I encourage you, okay, come out for a great meal. You can ask any questions. You can just be there and listen. You can go at your own pace. And what we're hoping between that and meeting some people and maybe having some coffees, talking about things here on Sunday morning, you can begin to not only understand, as the Holy Spirit reveals, but experience what it is to be born again, to be a follower of Jesus, and for your life to take on a whole different meaning that now wants to give God the glory. And you can begin to enjoy the benefits of experiencing the presence of God manifest in your life and together being part of a church family. That's the most exciting thing on planet Earth. So let me pray, and then we'll continue. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in creation, through your word, through Jesus. And now you speak to us as a church that your presence is here by your Holy Spirit. And I want to thank you for every person here this morning. And I pray as we begin a new year and we begin a new series, as we learn about you, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that it's our heart's desire to know you and to be known by you. We pray that you would You're the spirit of truth. We pray that you would reveal truth to us about Father, Son, Spirit, about the kingdom of God, about being a follower of Jesus. And we pray that you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd help Brent and I and others who are going to share, Lord. You'd speak to us, Lord. Speak through us, Lord. We want to be your mouthpiece. We want to speak your words with your heart and your wisdom. And God, I pray, Lord, would you cultivate hearts that are open to receive and to learn and to experience this most wonderful thing on planet earth, and that's having a relationship with you. May we honor you in all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's all stand up. And uh, we're just going to finish by worshiping God. Out of all that, out of the greatness of who he is and what he does, and I'm excited about uh, the next few weeks and looking at these things, even though half the time I'll be up here, it's great uh, to look at these things and, and just 
learn and grasp and gain in our knowledge and gain in our experience of who the Holy Spirit is. So Angela's going to lead us in a last song, and let's just worship God for his greatness, who he is, what he's done for us.